No, I haven't. There you go. <laughs> so, my bad. Wonderful. This is a well-known text. You may have probably heard it before. And uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. <clears throat> Jesus arrives in the wilderness, but you might ask a question about temptation. Uh, and the question might be, am I responsible for temptation, or can I avoid it? <laughs> well, we're going to go with the double no. <laughs> you are not responsible for temptation. The Bible teaches that Satan is the tempter. And can you avoid it? Again, no. It's part of the human uh, condition, the human experience. Temptation comes. Satan is the tempter. However, we do get to participate in what tempts us. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're tempted by something, let's say you give in to it, the next time it's easier, right? It doesn't feel so bad. And then you sort of do even might be tempted a little further and a little further. And the, the more you give in, the more you engage in, in what's tempting you. And what ends up happening is you end up doing something that you thought you would never do. And so, but if we resist, um, we are, uh, Jesus, uh, the Bible says that when we resist, Satan flees from us. We need Jesus to do that. But there is a part in which we play at what tempts us. If you keep resisting sin, resist, eventually at some point you go, that doesn't even, that level doesn't bother me anymore. And Satan has to get trickier to get to you. But the point is we can slide in both directions. We can be tempted and give in and then things get worse and worse and we tend to give over ourselves more to the, to the sin, and yet if we resist, we can grow in our um, level of tempting, if that means. We grow at the level at which tempts us, you know, in the early days. So let me, let me give you an example. I've used this uh, story before. Maybe you like double fudge ice cream. Anyone like? Just me. So maybe you think, oh, double fudge ice cream, that looks very delicious. It's delightful to my eyes. I think I'll have a bowl of that. That looks good. And then, of course, you tried, you enjoyed it, and then it looks really, really good, and you think, yes, I'll definitely do that again. And you partake again, and maybe this time you have two bowls of double fudge ice cream because that was, one wasn't enough. One bowl wasn't enough. And then, of course, you start every Tuesday, you have double fudge ice cream because well, you need it every week now. And then Tuesdays and Fridays, you have to have double fudge ice cream because that's just a part of life. And of course, you'd, uh, uh, why would you not have that? Eventually, you, when someone suggests maybe you shouldn't have double fudge ice cream, you, you're a little bit offended that how could someone even suggest that you can live without double fudge ice cream? And you actually begin to get upset. and Maybe you actually push back and rebuke them for suggesting that you <laughs> ought to not do that. <laughs> Eventually, you actually begin to get angry and maybe weep when someone takes away your double fudge ice cream, and you start to lash out, and then eventually, you might even start to use all of your time and resources to buy double fudge ice cream, um, spending the whole budget on, on that, <laughs> spending all your time doing that. Eventually, you might even sell your bread just to get double fudge ice cream. <laughs> I know none of you have ever done that. And then eventually, double fudge ice cream can ruin your life. And this is what we're talking about. Temptation can slide in that way. Not everything is demonic, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> Sometimes it's just stupid things that we do. 
we're also involved is kind of the point. But we are tempted. And in Genesis 3, this, this is the first temptation that happens. What happens is, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are tempted in the garden. And they give in to the temptation. They sin. They believe and they, they give over to the temptation. They sin. And death enters in to the garden. And the garden becomes a wilderness. Slowly the garden is removed. The perfection of the garden becomes a wilderness. And in this story, we see now Jesus is not in the garden, but he's going out into that wilderness to face the temptation. And he's being tempted, and yet he overcomes the temptation. Ultimately, he overcomes sin, and he restores what was wilderness. He begins to turn it back from death, back to life, back to a garden. And so the point of this story, you may have often read it and thought, the point of this story is to read your Bible like Jesus and know all the Bible verses and be full of the Holy Spirit, and that's how you overcome sin. This is not the point of this story. This story is showing us the sufficiency of Jesus to overcome sin. It is showing us that He overcame where Adam and Eve failed. He succeeded. Jesus is the one who overcame sin in the wilderness and rescued us from the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted and overcame temptation and sin and turned the garden back to life. The, sorry, turned the wilderness back to life. This story primarily shows us the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus overcame temptation and voluntarily went to death so that our sins might be laid upon Him, that our death could be put onto Him so that we could have life. You don't overcome temptation by quoting Bible verses. Satan is in the story. He's also chucking Bible verses out, <laughs> little Bible hand grenade verses. Hope that one works. I'm a big fan of chucking Bible verse hand grenades, if you've ever had a conversation with me. Pull the pin, see what happens. <laughs> Satan was doing that. We don't overcome the, the story at this point is not know your Bible and be in step with the Holy Spirit. Those are great. <laughs> but the point of this story is that Jesus overcame temptation. You overcome temptation by trusting and leaning and resting upon the sufficiency and the beauty of what Jesus has done. He rescued us from the wilderness and welcomed us into an eternal garden, an eternal city, which is actually way better than a garden. It's only going to get better with Jesus. Gardens are good. Cities are better. Controversial, but we'll see. Actually, there is a river there, and it's beautiful. There is trees and stuff, so don't worry. Jesus is our rescuer. And so Jesus, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, verse 1 of chapter 4, We've seen through this story, the Holy Spirit's been upon Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Anna, Simeon, and Jesus as well. Luke is showing us that the Holy Spirit is resting upon Jesus, and Jesus promised the Holy Spirit will rest upon us. For 40 days he's tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing in those days. And when it was ended, it said that Jesus was hungry. If you don't eat for 40 days, you're hungry, right? That's a human thing. Luke is emphasizing to us the humanity of Jesus. 
Jesus never did this as God, because then we could just dismiss it. But as Luke is showing us, that it was in his humanity that he overcame on our behalf, temptation and sin. Could Jesus have fallen, we might want to ask, when he was led out into this temptation? Could Jesus have stumbled? Well, no. This is a testing to show it's his sufficiency, to show that he is the one who overcomes, to demonstrate to us, like when you build a bridge and you then test it out, you send something over it, it's not because the engineers think it's going to fall over, right, engineers? <laughs> Some laughs. It's because you're going, no, we've, this is done, this is complete, and now we're going to send something over it to show how, how successful it is. And this is kind of this story here showing us, wow, look at this bridge that's been built. This is the sufficiency of Christ. He overcomes temptation and sin. Jesus could not have fallen, but we do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, but who in every respect has been tempted and yet is without sin, Hebrews says. This was the point of this, to show that Jesus was without sin, that he is the one without sin. And so we look at three, we see three temptations here which are common and repeated constantly, and uh, the first one is to do with appetite. Appetite. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, it's identity and appetite. He says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And so Satan first attacks his identity. If you are the Son of God, there's a question mark there. Uh, Jesus knows it. He's just been baptized by John, and the Father literally said out of heaven, this is my Son whom I love. There's, there's an assurance that Jesus has. But yet Satan's first question is, if you are, trying to sow doubts, the this question you may have come across yourself in your own heart, am I really a son of God? Am I really a daughter of God? Does God really even like me? Am I even loved by God? Am I good enough? Assurance is one of our, is a first step in our defense against temptation. If you don't know that you are God's and you, He loves you and He is walking with you, how could you ever overcome by yourself? Who wants to go out by themselves? <laughs> Not me. Only Jesus went out by himself into the wilderness. You're not Jesus. Don't go out there by yourself. Get others around you. But more importantly, God is with you. Jesus went out there by himself so we didn't have to. He overcame so that he might carry our burden and walk with us. The way to overcome sin is not to throw Bible verses, but to walk close to Jesus. And so Satan attacks his identity. Perhaps you've felt that question. Am I even loved by God? Am I, am I really adopted by God? The answer is you are. <laughs> we are sons of God. Romans chapter 8 describes how the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Remember the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus he knew he was the Son of God. The Spirit of God teaches and makes us know, allows us to know that we are adopted. It is the presence of God's Spirit, which we've been given and have, which assures us that we belong to God. Rely upon the Holy Spirit in that way, that I am belonging to God. 
And so the fundamental lie here is that you're not, the, not a child of God, God doesn't like you, and God's not with you. And how often do we feel like that when we're struggling in sin and temptation? We feel like God's not with us. And so this temptation of appetite, Satan says to Jesus, make some bread, you're hungry, you are starving, you're hungry, make some bread. Make some bread and eat it. And Jesus refuses to. You know that just before John the Baptist had said, God can turn these rocks into children for himself. <laughs> and so Satan's like, surely bread's easy for God. You, you're God. Just turn these, into rock, turn these rocks into bread. If God can turn them into sons and children. And the temptation is to fulfill his own need, his, his need, and to take it for himself. Adam and Eve did the same thing. They saw it was delightful to the eyes. They saw it was beautiful to look at. And they thought, hmm, God's provision is not enough in this beautiful garden, so we will take something else for ourselves. They were saying, God, your provision is not enough. I need something extra, and we'll take of the fruit. Israel themselves were wandering in the wilderness, and God actually had provided bread. He provided them with daily manna from heaven, and they grumbled and complained about it and said, God, we, this is not enough. We want something else. Can you see the constant sin of saying, God, you haven't given me enough. And so I want bread. I want something else. I want to steal. What, what do you see that's beautiful, that is bread that you want to take, that you want to grab a hold of it? Maybe it is triple fudge ice cream. Maybe it looks beautiful. Maybe it's, I'll work harder to get more money and that will delight me, I'll grab that. Maybe it's caffeine, sugar, alcohol, sex, pleasure, I want these things, they'll feed me. I don't have enough, I need these. I want the approval of others, constantly searching for approval and commentary from others. I have to hear approval. Achievements, if I don't seem to be successful, it's not enough. Constantly, what bread are you reaching for? And this is the temptation that comes. Bread, I need it. <laughs> I want it. That's what Adam and Eve did. Well, how did Jesus respond to this? How far have you gone with your searching for bread? One way to do is to just to do a test. <laughs> if you feel like you desire and love something, scrap it for a month and see how angry you get. <laughs> I had a friend who, who drank a lot, but not quite a lot, and, was, and I just said, hey, well, don't drink for a month. And he really, really discovered that <laughs> he really needed that bread and was feeding himself on it. Just pause it for a month and see how angry you get. It's a great test. <laughs> anyway, Jesus responds to this by answering in verse 4. He says, Jesus answered him, is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus chose to remain hungry and trust that God was enough. I'm not going to eat of it. I'm going to remain hungry. The text in Deuteronomy 80 quotes, I want to read it, says, the whole commandment that I am commanding you today is to be careful to do so that you may live and multiply and possess the land that the Lord has given to your forefathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord has led you these 40 years through the wilderness, that he might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. He humbled you and let you hunger with manna, 
which you did not know, nor your fathers knew, that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone. God was teaching Israel that man does not live on bread alone. And this is the text that Jesus quotes when Satan tempts him to take bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And Jesus here is demonstrating that God is the sufficiency for all our needs, for all of our bread. I am going to place myself in my Father's care, not under my care. Jesus would later feed the 4,000 and the 5,000, but much more than this, Jesus would say, I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Jesus here is not only showing us that he is the one who overcame the desire to feed yourself and to depend upon yourself, but he then said not only that, but I myself am the bread of life. If you feed upon this bread, you will never hunger again. You don't overcome sin by throwing scripture bombs. You overcome it by feeding upon the bread of heaven. Jesus, the bread of heaven, is the one who satisfies our hunger God provided daily bread from heaven in the wilderness for Israel, but they grumbled about it. (laughs) There is no true grumble that we could ever offer about Jesus, the bread of heaven. There is no grumble we could make that He is not sufficient in any way. He is ever more delightful than we could ever imagine. He is ever more sweeter than the best we have ever tasted. He is ever more satisfying than anything that could ever fill us. Jesus, the bread of heaven, temptation to satisfy our appetites is completely and utterly satisfied in Jesus, the bread of heaven. God himself will satisfy us. And we overcome temptation We overcome the temptation to give into our appetites by feeding on the bread of heaven. Guide me, O thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me in thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Feed me now and evermore. That's how you overcome appetite. Temptation number two. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one time and said, all the authority I'll give to you and I'll give all these to you and their glory that it might be delivered because it has been delivered to me and I will give it to you if you only but worship me. The first temptation is to satisfy our appetites. The second temptation is for glory and authority. Jesus, you will have what you want. I'll give you the glory of the nations. But why don't you just take it using my way? Adam and Eve, you will be like God, Satan said. You will, you will have authority. Just trust in the way I'm saying to do it. Take the apple. You'll know good from evil. 
It's a half-truth because they didn't know evil at that point. What they didn't realize is that they didn't want to know evil. So they took the apple. They took authority. They wanted glory. They wanted to know more. They wanted to have glory for themselves. Perhaps you've done that. Perhaps you've taken authority for yourself and seek glory for yourself. Do you ever make plans without God? I know I do. Do you ever rule over your own life in a way where you decide where you will work, where you will live, how you will spend your time, how you will interact with others, how you speak, what attitudes you will have, what feelings you have, and what refusal to forgive you hold on to? Do you rule and take authority over all things in your life? All in an attempt to bring more glory to yourself, only to find out that all these things end up ruling over you, and instead of bringing glory to you, they bring burden and shame. Adam and Eve discovered it very quickly. Satan misleads with subtlety, saying, just do it my way. It looks good. He has a scripture verse for it. Even with the scripture, if you don't know that Satan twists it like that and is subtle, you can end up in double trouble because you think you're doing God's will. Make Jesus the ruler again. The fundamental lies here is that there's a shortcut to get where you want by taking control and authority, that God is not trustworthy. Your hope is not to be put in God, but your hope is to be put in your own plans. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him only and serve him only. I will not worship you, Satan. I will not take the shortcut. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. The next chapter, Luke 4, Jesus exercised that authority over the demons and continually the authority belongs to Jesus, but he doesn't take it and grasp it and worship Satan to get it. Jesus is the ruler over all creation and upholds all things by his power and by his authority. Whatever authority I take and wield, I will wield it in such a way that it will be poorer, weaker, and less fruitful and actually destructive than if I had surrendered that authority to Jesus. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And one day he will come back and take all authority, and he will judge the living and the dead. He will reign gloriously and wonderfully and perfectly, and under his government and rulership, all things will be made well. The temptation to take authority into our own hands is overcome by the complete sufficiency of Jesus' kind and gracious authority. It is my delight to hand over all authority to him because it is also the beginning of my deepest joy and peace. You don't overcome the temptation to take authority by throwing scripture bombs at it. You overcome it by seeing the beauty of Jesus' authority, by delighting in him, so much so that you want to give him authority because he's going to do such a much better job than I will ever do. Will you surrender to his authority? Reign on, King Jesus. You are so glorious. We overcome the temptation to take control and glory by beholding the sufficiency of his authority and glory. I behold him. I no longer want to control and glory. I surrender. All to Jesus I 
surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender I surrender all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender We overcome the desire to take authority by surrendering to the beauty of His. Temptation number three. Satan took Jesus up on to the pinnacle and said to him, throw yourself down. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and their hands will not let you strike yourself against a rock. Jesus is tempted to test God. Okay, Jesus, so you won't take bread for yourself. You'll trust your authority to God. Why don't you test and see if God is actually good and doing all of this? Why don't you test God? Okay, you want to, you want to trust God? Try him out. <laughs> Do this to prove that God is with you. It doesn't look like God's with you. You're in the wilderness, hungry. Do this to show that God is with you. Throw yourself off the building. And God will act. And Jesus, interestingly, refuses to do it. But in the very next story, which is next week's text, sorry whoever has to preach it, I'll just throw a little extra in. Jesus preaches in Nazareth and they chase him to the edge of the city and they want to throw him off the cliff. <laughs> and it says he walked through them without being touched. Miraculously, God stops them from throwing Jesus off the cliff. God does protect them from being thrown off the cliff. Just Jesus doesn't take it in his own timing. He doesn't test God. Oh, God will do it, so I'll, I'll try it out. Adam and Eve suffered the same. They were testing God. Was, is God really right? Is he really good? Surely God's keeping something from me. But we'll eat this and find out. God's not good in what he's doing. Exodus 17 is where Israel put God to the test. I want to read it, in, just give me some lines to read Exodus 17, verse 1 to 7. Ex, Exodus 17, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. But Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us with our children and our livestock? And so Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff that you struck the Nile, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and there 
you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and i will and the people will drink and moses did so in the sight of the elders and of the and because of uh, in the sight of the elders and he called that place the name massa and mirabah because of the quarreling of the people of israel because they tested the lord by saying is the lord not among us they tested god saying god you're not with us we're thirsty They complained against God. Is God not with us? Is not the bread of heaven with us? Have you ever not liked what God is doing? Have you ever said, God is not with me? Have you ever told God what to do? Have you ever used Christian language to tell God what to do? <laughs> Have you ever told God what to do with Christian language to get your agenda and timetable through? In other words, you've taken God's place and tested God. This is the final temptation, the temptation to test God and to do it your way. The fundamental lies are that God is doing it wrong and that God is at my service. When I jump, he ought to catch me. And that God's love needs to be tested out. I'm not sure I can trust it. Jesus answered, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus demonstrated that he never put God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16, Jesus is quoting, Do not, you shall not put the Lord to your test as you tested him at Massa, the story we just read in Exodus, as you tested him by saying, God, your provision wasn't enough, you're doing it wrong. Jesus never put God to the test. He completed all the will that the Father gave him to do. Jesus is faithful to fulfill God's will perfectly. He never put God to the test. We often put God to the test. But Jesus never did. And this is the point of the story. Jesus fulfilled. Where Adam and Eve failed to succeed, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Where you and I fail, Jesus succeeds. Now we have an advocate with the Father so that even when we fail, even when we are unfaithful, we know that He remains faithful on our behalf. We are not hoping in our faithfulness, but we are hoping in His faithfulness, the one who is able to faithfully fulfill God's will. We do not overcome this temptation by throwing more Bible verses, we overcome this temptation by feeding and living upon the bread of heaven and knowing that He is faithful to fulfill God's will even when we are not faithful. Romans 8, For who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, He was raised. Who is at the right hand and who is now interceding for us? For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger? I'm convinced there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, the present nor what is to come. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love and the faithfulness of Christ. Is the Lord not amongst us? 
Yes, he is. God is always with us. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not the compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed and waited for an opportune time. Jesus was tempted in every way, Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to help us who are tempted. This is the sufficiency and the point of this story. Satan would come back and be tempted again, Gethsemane, where Jesus again would say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus again proved his sufficiency. As we bring this to a time of response, I want to ask you to look to God's provision and to God's timing. Jesus overcame temptation, and now we have him helping us, interceding for us. Temptation one, you need this bread. Oh, no, I don't. I have the bread of heaven. You ought to take authority and glory for yourself. Oh, no, I don't. I surrender to his perfect authority and glory. It is my joy and peace. Why don't you test God? Oh, no, great is his faithfulness. I love and trust him in all things. Look upon the sufficiency of Christ in overcoming temptation. Oh, what an advocate we have before the Father.